0: Welcome to The CAP, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and I am here to introduce you to college admissions representatives and other professionals in the field of college admissions. Our purpose is to serve you, the students, and parents, so that you may gain insight straight from the people who ultimately make the decisions. Regardless of whether you will apply to a particular school being highlighted, you should listen to all of the episodes, as each guest will give you tremendous insight and advice on every aspect of the college admissions process, prompting you to come up with your own follow-up questions for when you visit campus or meet with a college admissions representative yourself. Lastly, if you have any questions you'd like me to cover on future episodes or any comments you'd like to share, please email me at collegeadmissionstalk at and don't forget to visit our website at www.collegeadmissionstalk.com. So are you ready? Let's talk about it. Welcome to The Cap, everyone, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you today Robert Petusati, who is the Associate Dean of Admissions at Stony Brook University. Robert, how are you doing today? And Welcome.
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, anytime I get to talk about college admissions and, and Stony Brook, I, uh, I'm always very excited because I've been doing this for a long time. Actually, it'll be 30 years next month and I'm at Stony Brook and I'm also an alum. So uh, thanks for having me. I, I'm, I'm excited.
0: Well, it is an honor and a pleasure to have you and I'm very excited today because I too, Robert, graduated from Stony Brook in the mid-90s and it has served me and so many other students so well. So it's a true pleasure and an honor. And I know that we're going to hear about all of the great things, particularly I want to hear also about the construction that's been done since the uh, 90s. I know that since I've been around, there's a new stadium, the Wang Center. I know that new residence halls have been built, not to mention dining facilities. So having said all that, Robert, what is it about Stony Brook that makes it so appealing for so many students to want to apply and ultimately attend?
1: That's a really good question, and I'm always excited to share that, and you're right, there's been a lot of construction since uh, you graduated. I think there's still still construction going on, which is a good sign, because that means that the campus is still evolving, still growing. I think that's something that attracts students to our campus, the fact that we are, number one, one of the flagship schools within the SUNY system. That was a, a recent designation by the governor, certainly that's important, and that speaks to the quality of the programs, the opportunities for our students, the people that it brings from all over the world. Those are some of the things that attract students. Diversity is a big part, and diversity is you know in our student population, our faculty, our staff. Diversity in our academic programs and offerings. Diversity in the co-curricular experiences, which we all know are just as important as the academics, although my faculty may not want to hear that as much. But it's really <laughs> a holistic process. It's, you know, students are learning about life in college. And they understand there are a lot of opportunities here both in and beyond the classroom and and learning from people from all over the world so i think that's a piece that really really speaks to our students it's a high quality education at a very affordable cost so i think that's another piece that draws uh, students to us our location certainly doesn't hurt Um, being near a city like new york but also in a suburban area very New England type picturesque area close to the some of the beautiful beaches in the world and I think when you come to the campus and particularly now I'm seeing the cherry blossoms and the all the blooms coming you, you get a, an appreciation of just how beautiful physically the campus has been a little different than when I was here certainly and maybe when you were here John but it has really evolved into a very picturesque campus so it's sort of the the best of both it's the quality of the programs the environment that is enhancing that student experience and students want to be here. And I think that's important for our students are our gems and they really represent us and and, and why they want to be here to future Seawolves. That's how our students students are.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And the quality of the campus, but also the quality of the academics have certainly increased. Many people tease me and say that if I were to apply today, I might not be considered for admission. So thank you to all of my friends that always tease me about that. Robert, how many applications do you review a year and do you represent a specific region?
1: That's a great question. So I'm probably one of the last reads on the application. So this year, for example, we received more than forty thousand, yes, wow. forty thousand applications, Exactly forty thousand four hundred, I think thirty-four, something like that. For a freshman class of about thirty four hundred. So it was a lot of reading. So we typically have counselors read by either major, certain academic disciplines. Uh, some geographic, because of the volume that we have, our counselors will read not just very specific areas, I read um, whatever comes in uh, in my box for the day, so it could be uh, any major. I typically spend a lot of time reading what we call the, some of the restrictive majors. Those are the majors that have different criteria, a little bit higher, and certain nuances. For example, the College of Engineering, I spend a great deal of my time reading those, and those are among our most selective programs. I also um, read those files where counselors are reviewing and they decide they want to deny, they think a student should not be admitted. I have to look at those before those decisions go out to make sure that we're consistent in what we're doing. So in addition to the first reads that I may do, particularly with the restrictive program, I also have to read all those applications that are not being offered admission before those decisions go out. So um, I'll be honest, it probably um, this past year, somewhere around 12,000 applications Went through my eyes, which is why I wear these wow. uh, magnifier readers now. Because <laughs> everything is online, so there's no more paper. So it's it's always on the computer, looking at screens. But but it's a it's a wonderful process, and it, it takes time. You know, we have a, a a large, fairly large staff of about twelve readers. But when you have forty thousand applications, and we're reading in a holistic review and looking at everything, it takes time. It does take time.
0: Well, thank you for that insight. And obviously, you have a lot of checks and balances in place just to make sure that the process is done correctly so that you get the best class for Stony Brook each fall. So again, we appreciate that insight. And of course, you mentioned the School of Engineering. I know that Stony Brook is huge with the sciences and overall in the health fields, just to name a few. So many of my current students and former uh, are at Stony Brook or have graduated from Stony Brook and have had nothing but accolades and tremendous respect for the work that you guys do in admissions, the professors, and the overall Stony Brook family. It's a wonderful thing to be a part of. So having said all of that, Robert, can you walk us through the process of how you evaluate so many applications? Give us a little bit more insight. Are there teams of people representing different regions? If so, how many applications is each group responsible for and anything else that you could share?
1: And I just wanted to comment on your point, because a lot of folks think we are just a STEM school. I just want to make sure everyone understands that while engineering programs are among our most selective uh, undergraduate programs, we have far beyond STEM, our School of Communication and Journalism, our School of Marine and Atmospheric Sciences, our College of Business, College of Arts and Sciences, our health professions. It's just, I think that's a big draw for students, because as we know, students often change their mind. And when you're not sure, or you decide, I might change my mind, It's nice to know you're at a school that you have lots of options so that when you're ready to make that decision. But an inside view into how this process works, and and we talk about this in a holistic review, and what does that mean? So holistic review means that we look at everything. There's not one particular factor that makes the final decision. It's a multitude, a multi-layer kind of approach, Um, and there's an academic review and a non-academic review. So the academic review is looking at, number one, the strength of the high school transcript. The kinds of classes that students are taking—are they taking competitive classes? Are they consistent in those choices, and how they perform in those courses? And we compare students' transcript with what's available in the high school. So the high school profile speaks to us about what's available. So we looked at the student's academic record, and we looked to see, well, did they challenge themselves? And I always tell students, you know, always take the most challenging curriculum that you're capable of taking given what's available to you in your school. Well, we know it's available. We want to compare it to see, are you doing just that? And we want to see is there consistency? So that's the performance, the grades, how are you doing? And we often get that question, well, what about balance? What if I take all these high competitive courses and I don't do well? And that's a conversation that students need to have with their, certainly with their parents and their school counselors and their teachers about what is an appropriate level of challenge for my skill set or my ability or my time commitment, things like that. And that's a very personal thing for every individual student, and that's a conversation that needs to happen prior to students enrolling in those courses. But for us, given the fact that our pool is very competitive, we are looking for students who have a great deal of challenge, that they're taking not just you know basic courses, but they're going above and beyond. Because when they come to a school like Stony Brook, that expectation will be there, it's not. It's a challenging program. Regardless of what major you pursue, you have to remember that you're not just studying your major. You're studying courses beyond the major. We're educating students for life, not just for a particular vocation in life. So engineers still have to be able to communicate. Uh, Business majors have to do math communication majors still need to have some social sciences so that liberal arts core education is required of all. We want to make sure that all of our students are well prepared for the rigor of the courses that they're going to take even beyond just their intended major. So what we're going to do in terms of the academic review is we look at typically the five core academic subjects. What are those? English, history, science, math, and foreign language. That's not to say we don't look at anything else. We look at everything, but those five courses really represent that core liberal arts curriculum that students will be taking here. So we wanna make sure that they are well prepared. So we'll look at things like what level of math, what level of science, what level of um, history, and and even foreign language. I mean, you know, there's an expectation. Although engineers are not required to have foreign language on our campus, we still wanna make sure that given the level of competition, the students are taking serious courses. And how do they do And and it's basically we are not just taking face value of a grade point average that's listed on a transcript because as you know different schools have different weighting policies there's no one standard way that schools grade so we look at the courses and we see how they do and we'll actually calculate a grade point average for each of those five subjects that i mentioned and we use that in making our academic decision in terms of students preparation i'll be honest a program in the stem field say biology chemistry physics also really needs to have at least a pre-calculus course in high school before a student graduates bump it up a little bit higher for the student who's looking at an engineering or computer science program in most cases they really need to be at the calculus level in mathematics and they should have the full breadth of science courses biology chemistry and physics Yeah, yes students ask well i, I want to take ap by i want to take ap chem and that's great as long as you make sure you have the breadth of those science courses you know, and, and that's a, a difficult conversation sometimes for students to have. I'm thinking about biomedical engineering. Why do I need physics? Well, you'd be surprised. In the program, there's a physics core component, particularly in the early stages. So that's why we look at those particular kinds of courses. It may not be as um, necessary for an English major to have physics, but again, when you're looking at the level of competition for the overall applicant pool, those who check off most of the boxes, if not all the boxes, move up higher in the, in the evaluation process because it's, we're comparing students to other students who've taken challenging courses, regardless of what major, because they might change their major. An English major can certainly move to biology at some point and would need to have that kind of that rigorous uh, preparation. So the academic review is looking at the course level and the grades, the performance, and the consistency. We like solid grades. We like upward trends. The downward trends and those ups and downs, we know life happens, they need to be explained, whether it's in a personal statement, a recommendation, or some, something. Um, and that's that's really important. That trend is, is really, really important. And we look at, some t- cases, the standardized exams. If students are taking those exams, I know we'll probably talk about that in a second, but we look and compare, you know, how students are doing. Because uh, that tends to be more standardized, even though there's, you know, conversation about whether it's, it's equitable, but it's a more standardized view um, in terms of how students perform on that test because everyone's taking the same, same exam. So that's the academic review. But then there's the non-academic side, the essay, the recommendations, um, your activities report, all those things that talk to us about your, your grit, your level of motivation from your perspective, because your essay is your voice and your resume or activities report will be your voice, but those recommendations are, someone else's voices about who you are and we want to know are you a good citizen are you going to be a good fit right fit for our campus academic fit social fit cultural fit and a good representative of who we are as as an institution so those when we look at the holistic review those are the things that we're looking at in making that decision i'll be honest because i'm always very transparent the academic review is so paramount in this process because the worst thing we could ever do in college admissions is admit someone to our school who will not be prepared to be successful because it's not fair to the student and certainly not fair to the institution. So the academic fit is really, really critical, particularly when you're looking at a school as academically competitive as Stony Brook.
0: Well, I appreciate that comprehensive explanation, particularly talking about the importance of having the bio, the chemistry, and the physics, the total package, especially when you're applying to certain programs, but also if you're not applying to those more Um, competitive programs because you never know if a student is going to want to switch majors and you want that liberal arts education at Stony Brook that's what you're about you want people to be well-rounded so I really appreciate that insight Robert. With more schools going test optional and the ease in which students can apply to multiple schools thanks of course to the Common App or the Coalition App what shifts have you made in your admissions process with the increase in student applications?
1: That's a good one and you know we've done a lot of work and our decisions are very data driven so we look at historical data to see what percentage of students will be admitted from certain majors in certain programs what will actually be yielding from that so we have a historical a picture of of what's typically happened now typical can always change but it's been pretty consistent and then the last two years threw a wrench in everything right <laughs> because now we had covid and then we had test optional and suny is still going to be test optional through the 2023 applicant cycle but we don't know how much further it will and we we're hopeful but we, we will find out and we get that leadership from from suny but what it's done is we've seen an increase in applications from students who may not have applied before because you know we publish everything on our website. So you will know where our middle 50% fall in their grade point average ranges and our testing. And so students have access to that information and even the SUNY portal has that information and students might be discouraged when they see those scores that are really, really high and they may not be applying. That's natural, you know, I, you know, people don't want to be rejected so they, they tend to stay away. But when that became particularly with the testing became optional, students looked at, OK, well, maybe I fit in that grade point average range, but I don't have to worry so much about that SAT or ACT testing range. So I think what we've talked with a lot of school counselors that more and more students were saying, OK, I'm going to take a shot. I'm going to apply. I may not have thought so before, but now because they're not going to make me use those scores, I can have a, a better shot. And, and I think there was a lot of conversation about that. Certainly, it's easier for students to apply to college now, given the, the option, whether it's the Common App, the Coalition, the SUNY application, whatever. In most cases, you point and click, and it's and it's easy. Um, you know, In my day, I looked at maybe four or five colleges, and that was it. I'm talking with school <laughs> counselors and families about looking at 15 to 20, even more schools. And I often wonder, thinking... But if you get admitted to most of those schools you, you still have to make that decision and narrow down that list if you just do that research up front knowing which schools you really are interested in might serve you better i would say to students you know take a few that are target reach and safe schools and you know have a few in each of those categories because you've done your, your your homework so what this has done is we've seen an increase in applications we've seen uh, an increase in students who didn't submit test scores certainly and what that does to us is we're not really sure given the fact that students are applying to so many schools Where are we on their radar and how we make decisions? And I think I've been talking with a lot of my colleagues across the nation about their wait lists. And because the fact that they can't get a sense of how serious the students are in their institutions, because it's easy to apply and they're hedging their bets, perhaps, you know, and we in many cases, we can't over accept students because we have limited seats. And so the wait lists become larger and larger. And and that's causing a lot of stress on on students and, and the institutions because we're not sure, and that May 1st deadline comes along, is the class really set? You know, we hope so, we think so, but then we know that students, I've been hearing things about students who are double and triple depositing in, in institutions because they're, again, want to have a back in case they change their mind. So I think what it's done to us, you know, it's increased applications, certainly, increased applications from students we might not have received applications f- uh, from because of the, the testing scores that we publish, and number two, it increases our wait. Number three, it increases our wait list because we're not quite sure. We have to have that cushion to see if those students are not really on our radar. We have to be prepared to make sure we offer other students who are on our radar. I think that's that's the major challenge I think for all of us, and it causes a challenge for the students and families too because now they're on a wait list as opposed to getting a decision. And now what? Yeah, you raise a very
0: interesting point, and which leads me to another question in terms of demonstrated interest. So I get it, you are getting an increase of applications and you're not sure what percentage of the students that you're ultimately gonna accept are for real, that they're actually gonna come to Stony Brook. So if a student is applying to Stony Brook and really wants to come to Stony Brook, what are some of the things that they do to show demonstrated interest, Robert?
1: Absolutely, and typically, I mean, demonstrated interest is something that we're all looking at, but it, it doesn't, for us, it doesn't play as a direct role in the admissions process. It does a little bit more in the wait list process. And I'll, I'll explain that in a second. I always tell students, you know, if we're on your radar, yes, it's good to let us know. There's a short answer question on the application. The students can indicate that. Um, sending us an email, we'll add that to your file that you're interested We're you know, your top choice or your top five choice, whatever it is and we'll certainly add that to the file but it comes really important in the waitlist so for example we had uh, offered a, a few thousand students a spot on the waitlist and they have to re- decide yes I want to be on the waitlist or not and then we had this priority waitlist so let us know are, how serious are you and if we get a call from the student or an email from the student or the school counselor or a principal (laughs) about this student is really, really interested in, in Stony Brook, we can move that student to our priority wait list. And then the students who are on the priority wait list are the first group through which we'll take a look at when we have seats that open up. So that, that is an example of demonstrated interest because it, whoever is advocating, whether it's self-advocacy from the student or from a, a, a counselor or principal, um, we'll add that to the list and it can help the student. So I always tell students, if, it's, if we're truly on the radar and we are truly interested, it's okay to let us know. Don't let us know if we're, if we're not. Don't, don't, it's not a strategy, but it's, it's just be honest and transparent about that because that'll help everyone in the process. At the end of the day, when we make an offer of admission, we're hoping that the student is interested in that in that offer.
0: Well, it's funny you mentioned that because each year there are deserving students that come and pay me a visit and unfortunately they're on a wait list and they're very depressed about it. And these are students that are truly so deserving, so it's always my honor and pleasure to write a letter. But what I want to point out is that what I see a lot of times is that students are on a wait list and they think that they should just wait which is not true. What they should do is if, in fact, they're on a wait list for a particular school that they really want to go to. In fact, if they are accepted, they are attending, they should absolutely reach out. Like you said, a simple email, particularly if something new came up since they submitted their application. Maybe there was an initiative that they took part in. Maybe they, I don't know, won an award. Whatever it may be, anything new students that you could share with the admissions people in a simple email, letting them know that, yes, you're on the waitlist and you are absolutely interested in attending. In fact, if you're accepted, you're going to go to that school. These are little things that you can do that will not hurt you. It could only help you. It certainly won't hurt you, but it's astonishing how often we see students that think, you know, being on the waitlist is to just do nothing but wait. So uh, just another little piece of advice for the students out there. Robert, the other thing that people are a little nervous about is this test optional notion. Could you share with us the percentage of applicants that requested not to have their test scores used in the
1: process? Sure. Um, And that's a really great question. And and I think there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of anxiety. Should I do this? Should I not do it? Um, More than 50% of our first year applicant pool is actually getting closer to 60%. Uh, actually asked not to have their scores used in the process now some of them sent their scores anyway but in you know in the spirit of the process um regardless of whether they were good or bad we are we do not use them if a student on the application process and they make that decision at the point of application if they tell us they're not going to want their scores sent we will not use their scores in the process now i'll be honest john i saw a, a few students actually more than a few who uh, made that decision and had perfect SAT scores, and I thought, well, that probably wasn't necessary, but okay, we honor their (laughs) process, and uh, as long as their grades were really good and everything else was in check, then we we can go ahead and and review and make, make a positive decision.
0: I think Robert is fair to say to students and parents: if you have perfect SAT scores, it's okay to submit those scores. I just want to be very clear. Yes, and I'll go a <laughs> little, little further. And I, and I
1: have many conversations with students' and families about. I tell them, look at the website. If your scores are within that range that the school publishes, that middle fifty percent, then chances are you have a good shot and may want to have your scores submitted right. because right. you're in that range. Now, I'll be honest: what people are probably not understanding is not everyone has submitted scores some those ranges might actually be, be a little bit higher than what they would have been prior to test optional because you know now we're just looking at those who submit the scores and they students who submit the scores are probably good scores that's why they submit them but, <laughs> but again if you fall in that range uh, it's a good good shot and good indicator that yeah you might want to think of that and I, and I tell students take your sat or act once if you can in junior year see how you do take it again in the senior year see how you do most of us super score will take the highest reading and the highest math so before right. you even have to make that decision, try it. See how you do before you right. make that decision. Because you might surprise yourself. Sometimes students just think they're terrible test takers, and they get surprised when they do some preparation and realize, oh, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be.
0: Wow, that's great advice. And again, if they fall a little short, well, it's test optional you don't have to submit so robert you keep talking about the middle 50 percent so what is the average profile of the current freshman class
1: okay buckle up <laughs> 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 because, again this speaks to the point about you and i probably not being admitted if we were applicants today. <laughs> so i'll give you that. so this is the fall 21 group we're still tying up the fall 22 and i have a feeling it's going to be a little bit higher more than a feeling. Um, the middle 50% on the grade point average fell between 92 and 97 unweighted, uh, which is, or for some schools were on a 4.0 scale, 3.7 to 4.0. Now the testing score uh, for the SAT was 1320 to 1460, and on the ACT, 29 to 33. Now, again, middle 50%, some were, you know, any bell-shaped curve. some were lower, some were higher, but the middle right. 50%, the right. bulk of them. And I tell students, you know, if you're submitting test scores, um, the 1300 range is what sort of a filter somewhere in that range or a, a 29 on the ACT and low to mid 90s unweighted grade point average you know is something that they should be looking at in terms of what we're seeing uh, in terms of success now some programs are higher I tell the computer science program was probably about a 96 um, minimum GPA with a f- 1450 SAT it depends on the program stem programs tend to be a little more competitive we have a lot of volume um, and there's some very key pieces that we're looking at in order to determine potential success
0: and if a student falls lower than that middle range is there anything else they can do to enhance their application robert
1: absolutely and i never want to discourage anyone from putting their 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 name in the hat i think that's really important because number one we like upward trends so maybe your first quarter senior grades are showing an upward trend or your first semester senior grades are showing that upward trend, have those sent to us. Right. Maybe you have uh, you, you initiated a new program in the, in the school or outside of the school, um, or a, a particular unique volunteer experience that speaks to what's happening in the world today. Right. Those things need to be included because we are, we're, shape, we're, we're shaping our class. We're not just looking for students in one particular discipline or with one certain category of grades or, or testing. We are looking for students who are going to be good citizens, who are going to contribute something meaningful to the campus. And so any information that a student can give us about what they're doing or what they've done and it could be even a job you're holding a a part-time job maybe you're you're helping the family you know through some economic times or personal times those are things that talk about character right character is so important because you know you have to be motivated you have to be willing to work really hard to be successful we we see students who have look perfect on paper and they get to college and they sort of just sit back and College is, is not some place you can just sit back. You have to be proactive. You have to be engaging. You have to do a lot of work, and, and a lot of it is on the student. You know, no one's calling up and saying, "Did you do your homework last <laughs> night? Did you study for that exam?" You know, it's on it's on the student. And for the first time, it's the you know, it, it, it's new for them. You know, they are in control of their own destiny. So that transition is is, is challenging. So having a student who's uh, able to multitask and time manage well those are the key con- ingredients to success in college. So if you tell us about some of those things that talk about that, that can help us in making these important decisions.
0: Well, that's terrific insight and great pieces of advice. Thank you so much. And of course, if a student does not choose to submit their SAT or ACT scores with their application, how does that influence merit scholarships or financial aid? I understand, of course, that need-based financial aid is based on the FAFSA information. But i'm wondering if there is a disadvantage in terms of getting merit-based scholarships if a school of course like stony brook is in fact test optional
1: that's a great question i think that's caused a lot of anxiety for students and families let me begin by saying we hold students harmless and i think that's really important so that if a student submits test scores great if a student does not submit test scores same great Uh, we don't determine uh the scholarship based upon uh an sat if you're not going to take an sat so what we do remember I talked about those five academic subjects yes that's what we use in the process for determination of merit-based scholarship so it was overall grade point average and also the grades in those five subjects Uh, I can get very much into the weeds but it changes year to year this year for example a 95 grade point average was the minimum uh, grade point average for a student to receive a merit-based scholarship and people probably think oh my goodness that's a so lot." <laughs> well general admission is not that much different than that so right. we have to be a little bit higher than general admission but also on those five subjects um you know typically four out of those five subjects had to be 95 or higher to get a certain level i think if we had uh, three out of the five there was a lower level and that's that's how we got into those d- those difficult decisions in terms of what type of merit base but it was basically driven by the course grades and the overall grade point average for for those students on that high school transfer. And that's why it's so important that we look very deeply at the progress um, in those courses over grades 9, 10, 11, in some cases, first quarter, first semester of senior year.
0: Yeah, and I appreciate that, and I love when you said we hold students harmless. I think that's great, something important for the students and their parents to hear because it really is so true. How important, Robert, are students' courses in progress and grades in their senior year?
1: That's an excellent question. I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) Very, very important. Senior year is just as important as every other year in high school, if not most important. We want to see where the students are currently at. Are they still taking challenging courses? I'll give you another example, and going back to our engineering students, um, a student who is looking at computer science or mechanical engineering, we need to know, are you at least taking calculus and physics by the time you're in senior year? Well, if you're only doing it in senior year and you don't send us those first quarter grades, or the first, at least the, the program of what you're taking, how will we know? And we'll have to request it. Like, you know, We need to know, are you taking those courses? But I think it's also important to understand that we want to make sure that students just didn't do everything great in grades 9, 10, 11, and thought, okay, senior year comes, I'm going to have a little uh, senioritis going along. <laughs> no, we want to maintain, or if not go higher, with the expectation that students are progressing through their academic uh, progress and I'll go even further because then you know as you know the admission decisions go out typically you know by, er, by early spring and so th- some students might think well okay I've got my admission decision letter I might have gotten it in January February or March oh, that that AP course I was taking, maybe I don't need it to finish that course and I'm gonna try to drop the course. No, 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 don't do that. Because, as you know, John, when we admit a student, we expect the student to maintain the same level of challenge that they were taking as the point of admission, as a point of graduation. So when we get that final high school transcript, and we do, we look to make (laughs) sure that there's no significant difference in the coursework that the students were taking. If there is, then we take a look to see if that admission decision will will sustain. Um, in most cases they, they do, but you know, sometimes we have a student who drops the course. I would say, if that's going to happen, let us know in advance. Tell us, um, I'm having an issue with the class or there's something going on, before you know it, it becomes a problem, let us know in advance, and then we can say, okay, you, you reached out to us, we're expecting this, as opposed to us finding out by simply seeing the final high school transcript with no explanation. So I think that's important. So senior grades, very important. Senior program, very, very important, and should need it needs to sustain at the level that the student was performing all along.
0: Well, those are great points, and it's important students to put your best foot forward, build ramps during your four years of high school, but maintain that high academic standard, not only in 9th, 10th, and 11th grade, but as Robert explained, in senior year. I think that's great, Robert, and again, this is why I asked the question, because I just want the students and the parents to hear it straight from people like yourself that ultimately make the decision, so we really appreciate all of your help and insight. Robert, what are some examples of college essays that really stuck with you, and when you read them you thought, wow, this student needs to attend Stony Brook University, and perhaps could you give an example of uh, such a letter?
1: Okay, and let me begin by saying these essays are very, very important, and why are they important? Because this is an opportunity for a student to tell us something about them, why they'd be a good fit, what they've done, who they are, what their character is, who influences them, all these things from the student voice. You know, you, students can't change their transcript, hopefully not, students can't change <laughs> their testing, hopefully not, um, it, the recommendations come from someone else, but this is the opportunity. So we do two things, we wanna know your story, and we wanna know what your communication skills are, because regardless of what you're going to be doing as far as a major, you still have to have strong communication skills. Texting lingo and language is not gonna fly in a college <laughs> process, so well written. We're not looking for a Pulitzer Prize winning piece of literature but an honest voice, and I think that's important. So I think when I talk with uh, uh, folks, I read these essays, and we read a lot, um, the things that stand out the most are the honest description as to who they are and what the influences were. And and very often, students will talk about whether it's a a person in in their immediate world that's influenced them, uh, or whether it's someone in in government or in a job or whatnot who really shaped them or actually got them to ask questions. And, And very often, students, will accept information that's sent to them um, because it comes from an authority that they uh, admire. I'm not even gonna say from social media because I don't wanna go there, but it's someone that they admire and so they accepted it as truth. And when students question that, and there's someone who influenced them to encourage them to question, and and I've had students in their essays talk about that, this was my belief, this is what I thought, and these are the reasons why I thought this. And then I met this person or this person who was in my life and during this course of two or three years that I've known this person, got me to think a little different got me if nothing else got me to question why i thought that way and was that information true and what was the source of that information so when a student was talking about that and, and allowed that student to learn something about themselves as well as the world that was really really helpful and um, I, I, what I, advice i give students is make sure that when you are doing so and you're, you're talking about this revelation that you've learned or this person who served this influential role make sure you not only talk about that role or that person, but again, bring it back to you. What did you learn? How did it influence you? How did it shape who you are? Because and I always give the example, you know, students will talk about this, maybe maybe it's a grandfather who came to this country, had to learn the language, uh, worked two or three jobs to support the family, was really motivated and worked hard. And I'm thinking, wow, I, I'd like to admit grandpa. But grandpa's not a <laughs> What, how did this shape who? What did you learn? Did this change your character? Did this make you a hardworking individual? Did this person serve as a role model that you want to really mirror as you make these important decisions in life? That's what we want to know. And, and very often students forget that piece. They're I, maybe they're, they're they're so modest they don't want to brag. Maybe they are not sure that be, it would come across in a negative way. But no, this is your story. And whatever story it is, it doesn't have to be you've you've done something in a third world country or you have. Uh, found a cure for a disease it, if it's true to who you are and it's shaped who you are It's meaningful and it's important to us So understand what that story is and be prepared to effectively Articulate that story to us and make sure that you know The, the, the grammar is correct and the spelling is correct all the mechanical things but also have other folks look at it you know English teachers certainly your school counselor parents Maybe your friends are not the best judge of your essay, but get some other feedback from folks to make sure, because this is that professional presentation, the piece that you have direct control over in the application process. And for us, it's the fun part. We get to learn about students that way. Your transcript is what it is, your testing is what it is, but this is where your story comes out. It's really exciting.
0: Well, that's great advice, and you're right. The essay is the opportunity for the students to show their character, their personality, what uh, they're interested in, so it's, and it's unique to each student, so it's not a one-size-fits-all in terms of how to approach the essay, but that importance of showing off your personality, what you value, is extremely important because you don't necessarily get it in other parts of the uh, application, such as the transcript. However, let me ask about the activity sheet, because the student's activity sheet, of course, is another piece of the application. Robert, what a the kinds of things that you're looking for beyond the work they did in the classroom when looking at that activity sheet?
1: Great question. So again, going back to fit and level of commitment and being able to multitask and manage your time, so the activities report talks to us about what you've done, what's, what your passions are certainly, and we're looking to make sure that there's longevity, so that it's not something you just joined in senior year. So it's something you felt very strongly about, you've been involved for a couple of years, and there's been a developmental process. Perhaps you started off as a member of an organization, you maybe took on a leadership role, maybe you initiated a program for that institution, that's what we want to say it's not going to be a laundry list of everything that you've done since exiting the womb but rather those two <laughs> things that are really important that you spend some time on and this could also be employment you might have a job that you might have in high school for a couple of years or a summer job or whatever that's a co-curricular experience it talks to us about what do you do outside of class how do you manage your time how engaged are you as a, an active citizen in your community Those are things that are important because if you have those experiences in high school, you're more likely to have those kinds of experiences in college, and we have seen that students who are involved beyond the classroom are more successful. They have a higher grade point average and a higher retention rate as they persist because they're engaged, they're involved. You know, college is more than just going to class. It's learning about yourself, learning about others, um, finding new uh, opportunities. And so students who have those experiences are more open to continuing those kinds of experiences or expanding those kinds of experiences. And it really talks to us about how you can multitask and how you can manage your time. And those are critical skills for success in college. So choose them wisely, and you know talk to us about those things that are important to you because not only do we wanna see that, we might, if you have an opportunity to have an interview with an admissions counselor or an alum or a faculty member or whoever, they are going to talk with you about they're going to ask you questions and and when we see the passion in the students eyes about what is they've done it's clear that it's meaningful and that's what we want to we want to know the meaningful things that you've done and why well that's
0: great advice and great insight again i love the way you explained it you said that there's a correlation between students that are engaged in activities and how well they're going to do in their academics and in life so That's a great piece that you shared in terms of just looking at the overall application and its great insight in terms of how you, as an admissions representative, look at the total holistic package of the student application. So thanks, Robert, for that insight again. And so what about students aspiring to play sports in college? What advice do you have for prospective student-athletes in terms of making their intentions to play known? Okay,
1: number one, always remember you are a student-athlete. Which means you're a student first and your, and your academics and your student experience is really paramount but yes yeah, certainly b- b- given the fact that we're in a, we're in a division one athletic league program um, w- students really need to kind of un- understand the level of competition because our coaches are recruiting pretty early in the process so i think it's important for students who are interested in stony brook and in any school to make their interest known um, you know th- there are some guidelines of when they can do that certainly but it's important that they put themselves in the in the hat if they're interested in a particular school particularly in that in that sport and making sure they follow the guidelines and the processes and the parameters that are going to be looked at Uh, and very often that happens earlier than some of our general students who are applying because you know many of our students who apply the the application opens up august 1st typically in the senior year and most of our students apply typically by december but you know if students are going to be committing they need to know a little bit earlier in terms of if if there's a, a sport involved so I think it's important that, to make that known and typically uh, the student's coach can reach out to the coach as well um, the student can reach out to the institution our coaches can't reach out to a certain until a certain point happens uh, in, in their in their academic career but yes communication is very very important and, and at least sharing the level of interest with institution will be very very important to make sure that you're in the timeline to be considered because our our, our coaches particularly at our level are looking to fill up their teams pretty pretty quickly, pretty early in the process. So for the student who waits till the end, they may not get a spot on, on, the, on the team. So I think that's important to be to be early, to be proactive and to be open in, in the communication stream.
0: That's important advice. Thank you again, Robert. And lastly, what are the top three pieces of advice you would give a student and their parents who are getting ready now for the college process?
1: This is only three? Okay, I'll try this three. <laughs> Um Number one is, Go, sometimes you have to go with your gut. And just because, you know, oh, friends have looked at a particular school and they liked it or didn't like it doesn't mean you're going to have that experience. It's a very personal experience for each individual student. And sometimes students make their decisions on things that you would never think seem logical. I had a student who said, I, I couldn't make my decision to come to a certain school because students... Used umbrellas when it rained on campus, and it could be something quirky <laughs> like that. They don't want to see umbrellas on campus. But I think for students and parents, you know, and now that we're we're in this environment of being able to be more uh, transparent and open, and, and, and having folks on the campuses again, um, really the visitation is really important. And I want to give this advice because students, when you're coming to campus for a campus tour, make sure you, the student ask questions of the tour guides. The tour guides are going to be honest and upfront there of students at the institution. But let the students ask the questions. Sometimes parents get involved and they ask the questions that the students should be asking. Sometimes there's a false sense of security when we're in an unfamiliar place with familiar people. We feel, oh, I can do this, I'm, I'm comfortable here. But you know what? The students are not going to school with their parents. The students are probably not going to school with their friends or people that they know. So it's important that they learn to become their best self-advocate. So helping the students understand that they need to understand what are good questions to ask and what are reasonably good answers to the questions that they're asking and to make sure they feel confident. We will answer the questions of both students and parents, not a problem. We wanna make sure students lead the process. They should be leading the application process, so they're doing the application, they're writing their essay, they're doing all that legwork, and they're asking the questions. And they call the admissions office or they email the admissions office with questions. We see a lot of times that the students are are taking the back seat letting other people do that. So my first advice is make sure the student is in the driver's seat being the self-advocate, number one. Um, Number two, really take a long hard look at 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 cost and i'm not saying you should make decisions simply based upon the the sticker price of an institution but understand what goes into that cost and if you're getting a scholarship is it a renewable scholarship and what are the criteria for renewing a scholarship each year is it reasonable is it attainable that's important and i think the number three thing is breathe don't forget to breathe (laughs) sometimes we get so stressed out about finding the right school you know you think about long island students in particular You know, they tend to apply to the same 45 colleges across the country, (laughs) a lot of which are in the Northeast. Um, But if you think about, look at some of the schools that if you're willing to go a couple hundred miles Northeast, well, if you go West or South, the same amount of miles, you might find some gems that maybe the competition is not so intense. So the breathing part comes into think outside of the box. Don't get caught up with what you think you should be doing or what other people are doing. Think about what's best for you. Um, if you if you take a moment and step back, you know you you read the the information, you check out our websites, you talk to people on the campuses, read the school newspapers, find out what the issues are, how folks are responding to those issues, eat the cafeteria food, your first two tests of college survival, all of that, and you breathe. <laughs> and you just sort gotta of step back it'll all fall into place and it's a a logical process. I know know, being in this process for more than 30 years, it seems easy for me and yeah, it it changes, but understand that there's some wonderful choices out there and don't get overstressed by, I can only look at these few schools and that's it because there's some great gems out there and you'll open your eyes to some really important opportunities if you do that. Keep that lens really open and clear and you're breathing while you're doing it. Those are my three pieces of advice. I have more, but I'll stop.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Robert, those are tremendous pieces of advice. I really cannot thank you enough for your time, your expertise. We really appreciate it. As you know, this is going to help a lot of students and their parents through this process. So we can't thank you enough. I hope to have you again soon. It was a real pleasure.
1: Pleasure was mine. mine.